Jesus. <laughs> Maximum effort. Okay. Yep. Hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe. The show that's just kind of going to need you to keep it down a little bit. Just, you're... You're you're at a six, and we need you at about a two. Uh, thanks. Uh, I am Max, and I am Jr. How's it going? Um, it's going. Uh, yeah, we don't have any coffee, so mm. that is yeah, that is more of a problem than I would like it to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have tea, so I'm trying that. But, uh, you, the, the, the inherent problem, though, with tea, especially iced tea, is, which is what we have, is that, um, you have to pee for four and a half hours every, mm-hmm. 50, every 15 minutes. And yeah. that's also not conducive to doing this. So, yeah. everything is, uh, coming up, coming up max, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yourself? Well, so, you know, Momo Momo went and stayed with Grandma and Grandpa last night. Mm-hmm. So Mommy and Daddy had some drinks and uh, finally got to watch Parasite. Oh, uh, I still haven't taken the time to do that. It's really good. Really good. And it it's... It's one of those things like... The the tone of the first part is a lot different than the tone of the second half. Uh, I've heard um, that. To the point so that like, you're like, I don't want anyone to tell me what the tonal shift is. Like I know normally yeah. I don't give a shit about spoilers, but like that kind of thing is important to me yeah. for some reason. Anyway, go ahead. But uh and you know, it's it's one of those things I'd been wanting to watch it, but we have a six-year-old, and she refuses to learn how to read. We're trying, but she's just, she's a, she, she refuses to try. <laughs> and the frustrating thing is that means that, you know, even, even a movie that ostensibly has nothing inherently objectionable is still just like, if there were even a thought of, subtitles that would be me just sitting there reading the entire movie to her and uh so yeah also trying to explain the subtleties of class yeah it's going to be a whole well no you see the thing about it is sweetie (laughs) that uh these class structures lock people into a life of servitude and uh you know what just go play (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you've got a you play with dolls, right? No, I don't know. I play with dolls. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, but I've been watching so there's an interesting show on Disney Plus. Uh I like I like shows that are like about the minutia of pop culture. Sure. I like, you know, the toys that made us, the movies that made us, random shit like that. Yeah. Uh and Disney Plus has a show called Prop Culture. And it's very interesting. Huh. And it's this film historian tracking down, uh, tracking down, uh, props and things from various movies. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Uh, there are just two things that really, 
bug me. Mm. One is because it's Disney Plus, a lot of time is spent on how magical Disney movies are, and it's like Disney Disney is no more or less magical than any other movie, I think. Like no movies are magical. Like when you when you get to like the work that goes into them and how how they do the things they do movies in general are magical that's not unique to disney yeah but my biggest gripe is i get really tired of the whole uh everything is cgi why no practical effects and i get tired of it from random people on the internet yeah. But to see it from a film historian is especially aggravating for me because it's like you know why, man. Like <laughs> and the the frustrating thing is like I don't want to be that guy that's like everything is a class issue. But uh this is a class issue. And the <laughs> the thing about it the thing about it is the thing to understand about why everything is CGI over practical effects now is really pretty simple. And more than anything else, it is the fact that all of the people who do practical effects, which is to say carpentry, um, set building, uh, fucking special effects, uh, you know, makeup artists, stuff like that. Those people have all been unionized for a long fucking time. All the people who work at these CGI houses are not. Yeah. And so for a studio, it makes more sense to bring in a carpenter or somebody long enough to build a big green lump for the actors to sit on and then have somebody CGI that later than it is to pay a whole lot of union people to make a world. Yeah. And, you know, it's like if you want to if you want to see because look, huh. CGI has its strengths and its weaknesses and practical effects have their strengths and their weaknesses. Those are always going to be there no matter what. But like if you want to remove one of the major uh, reasons why studios push for CGI over practical, unionize the fucking CGI houses. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Well, and I was just thinking, like, where where am I seeing the most set building anymore? And the very first thing that came to me, like, fully realized, very elaborate set building. And mm-hmm. the first thing that came to me is uh, Prestige TV. Yeah, and the reason that that makes sense is because, like, because I was first thing I thought of was Next Generation, and then I was like, well, that doesn't count because that's way in the you know the nineties, or not germane to the conversation we're having right now. But like, so okay, so uh, the uh, Discovery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, their sets are all practical, and like, why? But why would they spend the time to? Well, duh, because they're going to use them a ton. Like, yeah. it makes sense to build something tactical if you're going to use it more than once. Whereas, right. or tactile, not tactical. 
not don't I know what you meant. <laughs> um, if they're going to use it a ton, because then you can not only like you can make sure that the lighting's right, and like I haven't watched Discovery because I'm not going to pay for CBS, um, but like I don't pay for Disney Plus. We're using a friend's login. I needed. I should find somebody because I wouldn't mind watching Twilight Zone. Um, yeah, Twilight Jordan, Zone. I wouldn't mind checking out. A Jordan Peele Twilight Zone sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Um, but uh, and I watched I watched the one episode that they put on a uh, on YouTube YouTube for free with Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, and I liked it. But um, but like so Discovery, yeah, like or even Game of Thrones, they do a lot of they do do some CGI background for Game of Thrones. I've seen their sets, but like a right. lot of it's practical as well. So. But that, again, you make King's Landing sets because you're going to be in King's Landing right. for five years, right? Like, right. You, you, know, you know you're going to need it, so go ahead and pay the union rate to get it taken care of. And, and to well. build it to last. And yeah, to, all yeah. of that. But, uh, and also then you don't have to... That, it's just a cost balance, right? Like, right, you build you build the set one time, and then you have the set, yeah. and you don't have to pay CGI artists to come in and do it every episode because it's right there. You <laughs> you can just have them go in and be like, okay, go fart around on there for a little bit, and we'll see what comes out. Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can tell too when they build it again so they can blow it up or whatever, right? Like, yeah. um, I don't know, that's. That is a very interesting idea. So what kind of, just off the, I know, maybe, uh, what kind of props is this guy looking into? Give me one one example. Well, uh, so there are, there's an episode for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. And uh, so in that episode, he ha- he covers the gamut from, he has like a pair of handcuffs Mm. that uh, it's the cuffs that uh, Roger slaps onto Eddie. Uh, there's the a maquette of uh, of Jessica Rabbit that he talks to Kathleen Turner about. Uh, he talks to Christopher Lloyd and about the Judge Doom costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes out to this... There's this... Uh, guy who worked on the movie who has the the little car that they built to be used for the Benny scenes okay uh, yeah that this guy was actually driving like they had it was a small car that could be hidden behind the animation that had uh, Bob Hoskins up in an elevated position and then sitting behind and below him was the guy who was actually like driving yeah but like Bob Hoskins would be turning the wheel and the guy would turn the wheel based on how Bob Hoskins was turning it for the shot and stuff like that. So there were, it's a lot of, it's a lot of different, there's costumes, there's animation, uh, cells and so on and so forth. It's a lot of, they tend to, the movies that they do in the show tend to be the ones that are either live action, like Pirates of the Caribbean or Chronicles of Narnia or Tron. They do an episode about Tron, uh, or that are a mixture of animated and 
Uh, well, I mean, Tron is a mixture of animated and... But you know what I mean. Right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> or the ones that are a mixture, like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit or Mary Poppins. So yeah. it's really interesting, even though there were times that I'm just like, shut the fuck up. But anyway. Uh, yeah. News. Po- News. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? Anytime I think of... Anytime... Who Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit is mentioned. I just think that poor shoe. Yeah, we were we were <laughs> telling Moira because she was like asking it. We were really excited for the Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode, and Moira was just like, she had no idea because I'm worried about showing it to her because Judge Doom is scary as fuck. Is scary as fuck. Like not just the see, like not just the scene with the shoe because we could maybe fast forward through that, but the entire last part of that movie. Christopher Lloyd is scary as shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, so we were we were explaining to her the uh the the fact that he murders a shoe and she's like, <sighs> "What?" And like they show a little bit of it in the episode and we're just like, "Yeah, that little shoe was just minding his own business and that guy murdered him." <laughs> uh to prove a point, too, not even to like Yeah. That shoe had like that shoe hadn't even done anything. It was just there. And he's just like, you'll do. Death. Uh-huh. Who, who Framed Roger Rabbit is best discovered by children at one of a, a minor holiday gathering of family with the cousins in one room watching TV and like finding Who Framed Roger Rabbit and watching it while the parents don't know what they're mm. doing. That's the best way to watch that as a kid because you're like it's the proper amount of traumatizing at the end Interesting. where all your children or all your parents would be like uh no hold on <laughs> come back <laughs> see i you know that, i think I that's saw, how i watched it i saw roger rabbit in the theater several oh, okay. times i went and saw the shit out of that movie yeah uh and i i <laughs> I always bore Casey. I I did a lot of reading about the movie and specifically why, despite the fact that it was such a massive success, they never did anything else with it other than those shorts. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting... Like, the, the saga of the attempt to do a sequel to Roger Rabbit is interesting, but, like, there's so much, there's so much stuff that it's just, like... It was just a series of events that just prevented it from ever happening. And by the time, by the time they had worked out all of the other shit, um, Steven Steven Spielberg had has, had had his religious awakening, and the script they had for Roger Rabbit two uh, involved Nazis, and he refused to have Nazis as villains in movies anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just was the final nail. But it's just a long saga of, like, just all kinds of shit just getting in the way. Yeah. But I I find it endlessly fascinating. Anyway. News. I could do an entire thing about that. Anyway. <laughs> news. Uh, so, Aliens and Predator. Marvel now has the comic rights to Aliens and Predator, which had been a dark horse for a long time. Yeah, I was about to ask who had them before. So. Uh, this whole thing has been really annoying to me. Um, 
because a lot of the a lot of the news articles I'd seen were like, "What does it mean for the MCU?" Nothing. Why no. would it mean anything well, it for the MCU? Anything. What the fuck are you talking that's about? An idi- that's an inane question. And like, uh, yeah, I it just pisses me off. Like. Just read literally anything. Read literally anything, and you should be able to figure out why it means nothing for the MCU. But what a... I mean, you know, yeah. Disney Disney now owns Fox, which means they now own Aliens. But, like, still, no. Like, yeah. why? 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 Anyway. So there's that, um... They honestly, I'll be surprised if there's ever anything more than maybe a crossover. But they've already done crossovers over the years, so it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, you know. Yeah, even for the comics, I'm like, what are they? Yeah, like, like they, they'll they bring did. in they they'll do non like non canon stuff. Yeah, yeah, where like Wolverine fights a xenomorph in it bunker or yeah. something right but like right or but Wolver- but you're never you're never gonna see the aliens in the 616 universe no. in anything other than like an easter egg yeah you know like i could see that you, you could see you could maybe see like if if deadpool were off world and it, there were a crowd shot you might see a predator yeah. Like or that kind of thing, sure. Or but like crowd, sh- yeah, crowd shots in Guardians. I could see that yeah. too. Um, right. I think it would just be the- like a oh hey, oh hey, like you know, but like but no, yeah. Uh, the other thing, and this is this is a this is a very funny story uh, to me. First of all, so they're leading up to the big Venom storyline involving the symbiote god null okay um (laughs) i say that like okay i trust you (laughs) and the lead up to it has been really interesting absolute carnage uh did a lot of stuff with this and so on and so forth and it's been it's been very interesting but the thing that i find incredibly funny is first of all i guess people have pointed out that uh, null in Norwegian means fuck. <laughs> but that's not even the best part. Oh? The best part is they have uh, they have put out ads on their various books that are like full page ads that just say null is coming. Add to that the fact that it's a black page uh-huh. with uh, drippy white letters. Yes. And uh, so Ryan Stegman got on uh, on Twitter and was like, Null is coming to Earth. That's all. Null is coming to Earth. <laughs> but it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> uh yeah if it, yeah jizzy white letters on a black background saying null is coming i don't blame people for just being like oh yeah cool good for him like you know 
Uh, whatever. Oh, uh, it's spelled with a K. Yeah. Oh, that makes more sense why it would be something in Nor- Norwegian. Right, yeah. Oh my god, it is. That's the worst. Yeah, right? That is, that is the worst. Yeah. Judas Priest, guys. Yeah. Nobody thought this out at all. No, I think somebody did. I think somebody <laughs> knew what was up, and they were just like, fuck it, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> did uh... it. Copyright Disney Corp. <laughs> 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 anyway uh, sorry um, alright so yeah um, I don't really know how to segue from uh, old god jizz jokes to uh, to comics so well let's just do comics comics uh eternals number 13 has a cover by jack kirby and john verporten is written and penciled by jack kirby inked by mike royer colored by glennis ween lettered by mike royer and edited by jack kirby and archie goodwin um the deviants are getting ready to launch an attack against the celestial ship uh sprite gets wind of this and being the only Eternal who is not joined with the Unimind, he's like, oh shit, what do I do, what do I do? So he goes and finds the Banished One. Um, and he sends the band- banished, one, banished One up into space. The, uh, the Judge Celestial um, re- you know, sort of gauges what's going on and so there's there's a ship of american astronauts who are there to check out the uh, celestial ship there's a ship of deviants who are about to wreck into it and blow themselves up and there's the banished one who's gilgamesh uh in his ship the celestial sees all of this and then just does a little switcheroo he puts the deviants on the human ship, the humans onto Gilgamesh's ship, and Gilgamesh onto the deviant ship, which gives Gilgamesh the opportunity to rip out the core of the bomb, uh, and it explodes, but he survives and is taken aboard the celestial ship. Uh, yeah, and the deviants are in the American ship and have no idea what the fuck they're doing, so they crash into the ocean trying to get back to Lumeria. And die. Uh, and die. So, at least part of their mission is successful. And the Americans go back in the Eternal ship, uh, which apparently is so easy to fly, it responds to thoughts, which is convenient. And the Americans are like... Oh shit! What is that? Oh, it's our guys! Hooray! Yeah. Um, wow! I did not realize how simple this story was. Yeah, it's probably the most straightforward issue of Eternals thus far. Um, I mean, it definitely helps that everyone else, every one of our other characters, 
is currently part of a hive mind. Yeah. Um, huh. Yep. Yeah, there's really not a lot to say here other than, like, if you like Kirby art, you, you got a lot of Kirby art. Um, yeah. Who's Inker on this? I... Do what? Who was Inker on this? Mike Royer. Okay. I... He's all over the place. I will say, I think that... If we were reading a chunk of Eternals, this would be a welcome issue yeah um the fact that we're reading it kind of standalone uh-huh. uh it's just kind of like okay whatever i think i think if we were reading this in the middle of a run of eternals i would be thanking god for this issue because yeah it does I, feel like that you know it would just be like okay we can take a break from a lot of the bullshit and <coughs> this is a straightforward Oh shit! A thing's about to happen, and then it's dealt with, kind of issue instead of well, there's deviants and there's all the, the and Icarus does this, and then Makari does this, and Cersei is and I don't give a fuck. Right. This is this is definitely this would be a an oasis in yeah an otherwise what the uh. Eternals run, but yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Nova number six uh, has a cover by Dave Cockrum, Frank Giacoya, John Romita, and Irving Watanabe, and is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Sal Busema, inked by Frank Giacoya, colored by Marie Severin, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Marv Wolfman. We have the first appearance of a major uh, Nova villain, and that seems re- like a really incongruous thing to say, um, because Nova Nova's villains have never been, like, you know, uh, big characters but outside of his of, books no in terms of his villains the sphinx is like a big deal um and it this is the guy that everybody else has been freaking out about condor and diamond head they've been freaked out about this dude though honestly like this whole thing feels like a really forced situation especially (coughs) uh, i'll get to i'll get to that so um there's a robbery nova breaks it up caps is still missing and bernie is still just like a 70 year old man uh condor and diamond head break in and find powerhouse who's being held in like a an energy drain like a device that keeps him from using his powers um and uh nova tries to stop them but he's defeated and taken with them uh so condor uses his computer uh to to not only find out everything he can about nova but also to brainwash nova into helping them um and uh in doing so he 
uh, in finding out everything he can, he discovers that Nova has a ship that even he didn't know about orbiting above Earth, and Condor's like, we need him to get into this ship. It has stuff I may be able to use against our secret enemy. Um, and the Sphinx is watching the whole thing. Whatever. Um... trying to remember if there's anything else here there's nothing so one thing I will I will say in in getting the information for this I did find out what powerhouse's deal is but I'm not yet sure what to make of it uh, Why he's so beholden to Condor? Well, I'm not sure yet whether it adds anything to the character or not. Which is to say, so I guess Powerhouse is Zandarian. Oh. Uh, he is, or, or at least he... I'm not sure if he is specifically biologically Xandarian, but he was, like, working for the Nova Corps. Crash-landed on Earth, lost his memory, and it was then that he was found by Condor and coerced into helping him. Right. But, like, I'm not sure what the whether or not... I don't know whether or not that adds or detracts from... Adds to or detracts from this whole situation so I don't know I mean it definitely feels like the writers haven't decided that yet yeah in this story and the previous yeah because wasn't he he was on a boat and he killed everybody on the boat Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know yeah that doesn't I don't know what that adds I'd have to see how it's how it plays out like how they once he realizes like what he does with that information yeah so nova number seven has a cover by jack kirby joe sinnett and irving watanabe and is colored by michelle wolfman um so nova and condor break into a warehouse uh to um to steal a part they need to help them get to space. Uh, Nova has, like, announced that he's now the leader of the gang, which is just (laughs) like, all right, sure. Um, We find out some information about the Sphinx as Condor relates sort of what he knows about uh, Sphinx. But, like... The thing about it is, so if you are at all familiar with Judeo-Christian uh, history, um, or you've seen the Ten Commandments, there's the thing about, like, you know, Pharaoh has his magicians, and, like, uh, there's the casting down of the rods which turn into snakes, and Moses eats the magician's staff 
Yeah. Uh, that magician was the Sphinx, and the Pharaoh's just like, get the fuck out of here. So he's banished and goes wandering, and he finds this Ka stone, which turns him into the Sphinx. And Condor is of the belief that the Sphinx is just out to become a criminal, the criminal warlord or whatever. Um, but this, as we learn, the Sphinx has bigger goals. And that's that I think is the issue that I have is that his stated goal and what we find out he's actually working toward don't mesh. What do you mean? So what's his, what are, what are the two things? Well, he claims that he wants to be emperor of the world. That's the whole criminal mastermind thing is just a stepping stone to controlling the world. Right. But then also he's looking for a piece of information Uh, that will free him from his immortality and allow him to die. And I don't really see how becoming emperor of the world furthers that goal. Like he's already out here. He's clearly already got infrastructure and very Um, powerful. Yeah. And he's very powerful and can just look for this piece of information on his own anyway. So I don't see how adding all of the problems that come with being emperor of the world furthers what he's already got. Yeah. So, but whatever. So they, they put together a ship that gets them up to Nova's ship. Um, and once inside, uh, they start fighting or they start making their way through the ship. The ship initially obliges because Nova's with them, but then the Sphinx uses whatever to cause the ship to register them as intruders, at which point they then have to fight a bunch of robots. Um, Nova wakes up uh, from the brainwashing, and they're just like, well, fuck. Okay, get what we can. So they grab a bunch of shit, and Condor sets the autopilot to take the ship to the far reaches of the galaxy. Um, so yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, so the problem with the story isn't Nova is the best thing that I can, like the nicest thing that I can say about it. Yeah. I actually don't hate Richard in this, in this storyline. I kind of am on his side for most of it. I I better be. It's his book. But like, the problem with the story is the convoluted bullshit with the villains and yeah. both Sphinx in the background operating as, you know, Puppet Master and these three chuckleheads, mm-hmm. one of which isn't even really a villain. Like, <clears throat> well, and Powerhouse just needs to shit or get off the pot. Right. His, his constant waffling is super annoying. Like,. I get that you don't want to do it, but like, and like, do it or ha- don't. <laughs> having having some mystery with them is fine. It's just we got too many little mysteries going on mm-hmm. to make anything coherent. Yeah. Um, well, and and I guess what it comes down to for me is the fact that. There has yet to be... 
the connective tissue isn't quite connecting as well as I'd like it. Leaving aside the issues with Sphinx's motivation, there's also the question of why Sphinx's... Why these morons think they're even really on Sphinx's radar. Right. And it's... And it's ostensibly established that Condor just became aware of Sphinx before Sphinx was ready for anybody to be aware of him. But, like, so? Like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, these these guys do not feel big time. They feel mid-level at, well, Diamond Head is a a low-level Spider-Man villain to me. And I... That's being generous. Okay. Like Diamond I, Head Diamond Head I feels feel like Shocker could take this dude apart in <laughs> oh, times. Like uh, <clears throat> Well, yeah, Diamond Head does not feel big time at all. He feels like muscle. And actually in this issue, he's treated like muscle, and that's fine. That's yeah. perfect. That's what he should be. Problem is, I don't believe Condor at all. Like no. he's and, it's 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 a question of why are you trying to punch so high above your weight class? You have not proven to me, the reader, that you're anywhere near this level. Like, right. the, the most indication that we get is apparently he can build a or he can build, get a hold of, or have a spaceship readily available. And I'm like. That that's feels true of like most of the villains in Marvel. But that, and that, but that even still even feels incongruous. I was like, you don't seem like the kind of guy who can get a hold of a spaceship. Uh, yeah. On a reg- on like, for, for, uh, short notice. Jesus Christ, brain. Well, it's Come it's on. really hard. It's really hard to 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 reconcile. This image that con that they're trying to make of Condor as a viable player, because the whole thing is so okay. The Sphinx versus Condor. Condor is small time enough. Why not just have Sphinx just be like, "Well, I'm not ready for anybody to know about me. Come work for me." Yeah, and, like oh, that'd that be would cool. solve it. Yeah. But, but the problem is Condor is trying to set himself up as a viable uh, candidate for the role of criminal mastermind. But literally the only underling he has is some dude that he's forcing to work for him. Yeah. And it's just like, this is your criminal organization? A guy that doesn't even really want to be here? Like. <laughs> How am I supposed to? How am I supposed to take any of this seriously? So, yeah. How am I supposed to take any of this seriously when it feels like Kingpin would take you apart in an afternoon as a leisure activity? Like yeah. not this... not even like this is his focus for the afternoon. No, no, it's no. It's just like you know the the Kingpin wants to take an afternoon just for him, just for yeah. some self care, and he's for just me. like. What if I just destroy a guy? <laughs> like, yeah, like, what if I... No, all of him. Yeah, what if I just did that? That'd be fun. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Everybody else... Uh, you focus on Daredevil. I'm going to take 15 <laughs> minutes and dismantle a, a dude with wings. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know. It's just... It's, 
it's the kind of thing that, given the level of power we see with with the Sphinx, I don't understand why this is even. He is able. He is able to. He is able to override a Novacore computer from the ground while the ship's in orbit to attack these people. Uh-huh. He is able in a later issue to and completely erase whether... Richard's my Richard's memories for a while. It's not like, even explained whether or not that's the, when he does the thing to the ship, whether that's technological or magical, it doesn't matter. He can just yeah. do it. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's just a literal, like he snaps his fingers and it happens. There's not even an attempt at explaining it. So it's just like, this is just a thing this guy does off the cuff and like so the question that i have is like and then and then later he quite literally turns condor into an actual condor and he's just like go live your stupid condor life you asshole (laughs) and it's just like then why was any of this why didn't he do literally any of these things and just not worry about it? Like yeah. now he's on Nova's radar radar and like I I just I don't understand why. And like <sighs> the the problem the problem is that ostensibly this could be explained as this has all been established so that Sphinx can find the piece of information that's in Nova's head. Right. But also, like, it still doesn't, just doesn't make sense. Like, that's the thing. If you're going to do the whole, like, this is all, like, 3D chess... Then, like, it's gotta make fucking sense, man. That's that's the problem with three D chess is that if it it falls if it falls apart upon any scrutiny, then it wasn't three D chess. It was just bumbling about. Um, yeah. And Sphinx feels like he makes some questionable decisions as far as like bumbling about too. But the yeah. main bum- the main bumbler in all of this is definitely Condor. Where yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we get what I believe with bullshit. <laughs> this is the darkest story of the week. It's it's pretty fucked up. Uh, yeah, Nova number eight has a cover by John Buscema, Joe Sinnott, and Danny Crespi, and is uh, colored by Marv Wolfman. I meant to check that, because that seems... that seems off, but whatever. Um, So... Yeah, so Nova... Nova is able to just override (laughs) what the computer does, like, easily. So I like this... This as setup is good. I mean, well, as, uh breadcrumb i guess or tidbit morsel of possible futures is good the because the he is... uh because, like he he's wandering around their ship realizes that he's wandering he's being shot out into deep space 
and is starts asking questions out loud because that's what you do when you're comic book superhero and the computer answers him and is like hey how's it going i'm the computer this is what i am um i'm biocircuitry i contain all of the memories of the previous novas uh, or the previous nova prime uh i am called prime or the previous centurion novas and he's prime computer yeah and he's like so you know if you ever want to talk to any of the previous centurions let me you know come come up we'll figure it out and he's like okay that's cool but i gotta get down to the planet so i can stop these chuckleheads and they're like he's like okay we can do that but uh okay great oh no it's he's the computer can show him anywhere on the planet and he's like well okay show me caps and caps is tied to a drain pipe in a sewer that's currently flooding with water which we kind of skipped over last issue because silly but uh he's like oh shit i gotta go man thank you uh can we how do i get down get me back to earth and let's get down there he's like okay cool they do that and as he's going down he's still connected to the computer and he's like so how do i how do we how do we talk once i'm down and he's like well you can't and the shuttle's gonna explode on entry so i'll see you later the the thing that I the thing that I like is when you view Nova in general. Mm-hmm. I like this because it's establishing that there are answers within reach. Yes, if that's exactly what I mean. If he needs something, he has only to get to orbit, uh, and and the thing that I the thing that's uh, at first I found it incongruous because it's like, you know, the the ship seems unnecessary when you compare it to uh, Nova later, who is able to fly through space on his own and talk to World Mind at any time, no problem. Uh, not just when World Mind is in his head, but he's able to, like, connect with every... Even after World Mind is out of his head he's still able to communicate with world mind no problem but when viewed in the context of he's new and everything this is fine because it gives us the answers we need to move the plot along it's nearby so it's not completely out of reach but it's also not like he has a ready access at any given moment to do whatever he needs to do right and so i, I like, like the I'm fact okay that it's it. Yeah, no, I like the fact that it's it's a bit of a trek to yeah. get to there mm-hmm. and that he still needs to learn that he can do that. Like, yeah. he can just go to space on his own at any point. He's just not tried yet. Yeah. Um, and that's cool. I like that. Um, yeah. So there's still, like, one more hurdle he has to get over. Um, and I, you know, I'm anxious to see like, what is the impetus to force him to attempt that, that, that should be good anyway. Yeah. So Richard goes and saves caps and takes him and drops him off at Richard's house. Uh, and then Russia flies around the house, comes in, changes really quick and gets downstairs before caps can come in. Um, 
they call Bernie over, and Caps proceeds to explain what's been going on, and it all seems incredibly fantastical, but the upshot of it is he was on a camping trip with his uncle Nathan, they found this glowy cave, they went inside, the uncle fell into this black water that then caught fire, and Caps was like, I can't reach you, and I don't have a rope, I'll go get help. Um, at which point Uncle Nathan is just like, you left me to die, you probably pushed me in, whatever. Um, but then he fell through this black water, burning but never dying, and then found himself in the far-flung future, horribly, like, burnt and whatever, and he is found by this cloud of intelligent whatever that puts him back together but is like it's been so long since I've seen a person I don't really know what that's supposed to look like so he winds up like a weird pink thumb man um, yeah I think a uh, one of those dolls that artists will use for yeah. like body um, yeah yeah cause he's got like the the brow ridges but no eyes and uh-huh. stuff like that, but yeah, his head looks like a thumb, <laughs> and uh, and the the cloud thing empowers him to be able to survive in this future. Eventually, he is then able to trap the cloud thing, which it turns out is quote female, uh, and in love with him because she was the only living thing left on earth um and whatever so he imprisons her in glass and then dives back into the black water and finds his way back to the present uh so yeah and that's why he hates caps and has attempted to murder him richard and bernie are just like huh okay Richard not buying it, I have a hard time with because it's like, dude, you're Nova. Like, yeah, you you are an alien policeman. Like, what are you even talking about? But whatever. Um, so they're like, OK, well, you know, we'll we'll try and figure out something. In the meantime, you're home. You're safe. Everything's fine. That night, Caps comes and he's just like, he's after me. He's after me. Meh. Um, Richard changes into Nova, uh, but then Mega Man, as he's now known, uh, smashes up the place and, like, uh, sets fire to it and then flees with caps. And it's just like, what are you going to do, hero? Yeah. You're going to leave those people to die or are you going to save the kid? Which... Again, really incongruous given that we're the, now going to uh, try and make this a sympathetic character, but whatever, on we're still... a dime. Yeah, yeah, on a dime, yeah. So uh, Nova number 9 has a cover by Ed Hannigan, Frank Giacoya, and John Costanza, is colored by Glynis Ween and lettered by John Costanza. Um, 
Richard, of course, has to choose his family. So he gets all of his family members out and says, I'll get Richard, you go have your, uh, have your, uh, go to any injuries looked at and everything yeah. or get checked out for smoke inhalation. Meanwhile, he puts out the fire, then flies ahead, switches to Richard, and uh, they're just like, how did you get here already? And he's like, well, Nova brought me. And I don't know, that seems kind of dick, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's very much like, if you're, I'm not a mother or a father, but like, if my child was in a burning building, even if there was a superhero that like literally got me out beforehand and then was like, okay, you go to the hospital, I'll go get him. No, no, don't worry. You don't have to wait. Just, you don't, don't have to wait. Just go. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I would be like, fuck you, man. No. Well, I yeah. assume. <laughs> I, as a father, I would not just be like, he seems uh, to uh, have it under control. He's, you, you look like you've got it. I, right. I trust this man I've never met before. <laughs> um, no. Like, I would not do that with the firefighters. And I trust the firefighters a lot more than random dude in a pervert suit. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Uh, but so Mega Man takes Caps to Coney Island, which is where Nathan lived, I guess. Uh, and he explains, no, I was, I had gone a little crazy there. I, I'm sorry I blamed you for what happened to me. I need your help. And Caps is like, well, okay. Uh, and it turns out that Nathan just wants Caps to go and explain the situation to his wife, Clara, so that she will then be prepared before he's just like, I'm alive. Uh, you know, I'm alive and a thumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Caps is like, okay, I'll do it. Um, meanwhile... <laughs> Richard's dad gets suspended from his principal gig and Richard's just like, let's, let's talk. And his dad's like, leave me the fuck alone. And Richard's like, I'm sorry, but in this family, we fucking talk, bro. <laughs> um, whatever. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know what he's being suspended for. Well, so there's... There's a PTA that is making demands of how the school is run, and he's not doing it. Because there's a concern on his part that discipline in the classroom will fall apart. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure how this is... Like, what it is they're pushing for. It feels a little like... They really wanted to do a job, have his parents have jobs that they didn't really, they, like, different jobs. You know, they're mm -hmm. very, these are very different jobs for comic book people. Um, pr school principal and uh, dispatch. And I, it doesn't feel like they did the research when they were trying to create drama in his life. 
And they were just like, well, the PTA's being a dick about something, right? Yeah, that works. And it's like, does it? I doesn't really scan to me, but okay. Here we go. Hopefully well, I don't have to deal with this a lot. My, my concern... I am trying... I am trying to figure out a... I'm trying to figure out any possibility for what it could be that the PTA is demanding that would cause discipline in the classroom to fall apart that isn't, oh, SJWs run amok. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Anything I can think of is just like, they're trying to ban corporal punishment? Or, like... What? It, it, all of the things, that was the other thing, is all the things that came to mind that they were trying to do, that or that they might be trying to do, were like, made him the dick. Yeah. And I was like, Ugh. do you guys want to do that? Because his well, dad... That's, that's the thing. Like, I'm willing, I'm willing to concede that there may just be shit I'm not thinking of, mm-hmm. and fine, but like... The fact that he is coming down pro-discipline in this situation, and especially at this time, right? I don't know. I don't know what it. I don't know what it is that it that it wouldn't be him being a dick. But yeah, whatever. Uh, so Caps goes up to his aunt Clara's place. Turns out, Aunt Clara has gotten remarried. Um, and uh, Caps is like, well, Uncle Nathan's still alive. And she's like, what What are you fucking talking about? Uh, but Mega Man is just like, ah! And like, <laughs> comes blasting in. Uh, this then gets reported over the police band. Nova picks up on it and goes to deal with it. Um, he and Mega Man fight, uh, in the funhouse, and it's not bad. Like, there's a whole lot of, like, uh, ooh, which mirror, blah, blah, blah. Like, he's in the funhouse, and so, and it's pretty standard, but it's not awful. Um, but then, like, in the middle of all of this, um... The sentient fart shows up again, <laughs> and she's just like, "I found you, my love." And he's like, "Oh God, no!" And he's like, "Please, just tell me you love me." He says to his for- now former wife, "Please, just tell me you love me, and she'll leave me alone. Like, if you care about me at all, please just tell me you love me." And she's just like, "Hmm." And so the the sentient fart takes him back to the future and uh nova and caps are just sitting there like wow that's that's pretty that, fucked up that was cold that was cold as ice and she's like well i didn't love him and it's like ah still like in this instance they were just words yeah <laughs> oh well, like, oh, well. <laughs> yeah and so yeah like Mega Man is just really all over the place in terms of how we're supposed to feel about this guy. So, yeah. um, so yeah, 
that brings us to Nova number 10, um, which has a cover by Al Milgram and Danny Crespi, colored by Bruce Patterson and lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Joe Rosen. Uh, this issue starts with Nova dealing with a villain called Firefly, who Nova seems to have some sort of previous relationship with but this is nova this is firefly's first appearance so <coughs> i i don't know uh but what's what's interesting is so nova defeats firefly um and then one of the cops at the scene is just like oh hey by the way we've cleared you of any wrongdoing in that uh warehouse break in last week which is really weird. Um, it's really weird that A, he would bring it up right then. And B, that he would be cleared at all. Because he definitely broke into that warehouse and helped help those dudes steal some things. And then provided no evidence of his brainwashing. Well, it's it's weird not only for that reason, but also because... You know, they keep trying to do sort of a sp- an early Spider-Man thing with this. Uh, because, like, you know... I think at one point, Richard even refers to the Rider luck. And stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but, like, Spider-Man has yet to be cleared for shit he didn't do. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> Nova, despite breaking into an Air Force facility presumably on camera (laughs) has been cleared of any wrongdoing like it was nothing but all right whatever yeah it's very sure sure guy yeah so uh yeah he's we get some stuff about uh his brother his brother robbie being a dick uh about their grades um so condor diamond head and powerhouse fight their way into the sphinx's base and then the sphinx is just like whatever like these thing these people you're defeating aren't even people they're just manifestations of my power here's my actual base and like this giant pyramid shimmers into being before them and they're just like oh wow we were completely unprepared for this and it's like of course you were you stupid fucks um so uh nova just happens upon them and uh gets involved at which point the condor condor encases him in this bubble using one of the weapons he stole from Nova's ship. Uh, Nova then just like leaves. He like leaves in the bubble and uh, he goes and like talks to Firefly and he's like, hey, can you get me out of this? And Firefly's like, you wrecked my suit and also no. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> go to hell. <laughs> so Nova goes into the. Um, goes into a nuclear reactor and like it melts off of him uh 
so like okay another thing about co- nuclear reactors in comics are hilarious to me because nuclear reactors are actually really fucking boring to look at and they don't have just rooms full of heat like that's not a thing we put yeah the, you you don't there's you put there's, the water right no... on top of it you're boiling water that's what we're doing in the nuclear reactor and yeah. once you tell someone that they're like well that's dumb and it's like yeah but it's just all the time to- we're just boiling water all the time and that's what's actually generating the the electricity and they're like well then what do we need the nuclear power for well because it generates heat but we can control that with the this and this and this and they're like so it's just a big tub of heat yeah but there's no like dangerous rooms or anything like that it's just it's really boring yeah and i I would love if you showed an actual nuclear uh like admin for one of these powerhouses uh this room that he walks into and be like no why would you do that uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird. It's like... The, that's the thing about nuclear power. Like you said, you know, it's... The only difference between nuclear power and, like, coal is that nuclear power, you're not burning anything. Yeah. Like, that's the, that's the only difference. Yeah. Is with coal, you're burning coal to, cre- to heat things up to do the same thing. Uh It's moving turbines and stuff like that. Um, Nuclear power does the same thing without burning. That's why it is cleaner provided that yeah, a, uh, you know, you, you ignore all of the nuclear waste and B, you know, nothing goes wrong like chernobyl or anything <laughs> well and but uh, well on the subject of waste um the only reason there's a difference between i know nobody gives a shit i do because this shit i love this shit the, there's a difference between uh fuel grade and weapons grade of the uh right. and weapons grade is like 99 percent pure and fuel grade is uh i think 89 is the lowest you can go and it's that shit in the it's the difference there that's actually what the waste is like uh, the rest of it breaks down and is has or has a half life it's the waste it's the difference between the 99 and the 89 uh that's the stuff that we put in mountains and just decide it doesn't exist anymore (laughs) um and uh if you put weapons grade uranium into a nuclear reactor you get like no waste at all but yeah. then you put weapons grade uranium into a nuclear reactor, and that's a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, that's a security problem, isn't it? So I don't know. It's just really fucking interesting. Plus, you know, weapon. If you put all the weapons grade uranium into nuclear power plants, you don't have any for all those nuclear bombs. Um, that we're anyway. totally using anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. Nova comes back from the totally real room full of heat. And he rejoins the fight. The whole thing is, so Sphinx has these two underlings. One is named Kerr, who's just, he's his star scream. Yeah, Um, he's snively, yeah. And Sage, who, I was curious as to what Sage's deal was, because I was wondering, like, 
you know, when when he was talking about we never see Sage interacting with anyone else, so we have no idea what like the deal is. The only people yeah. Sage interacts with are Kerr and the Sphinx. And so I was thinking that maybe like the look into my face and see your destiny thing was purely metaphorical and that Kerr, Sphinx, and Sage are all the same guy at different points in I was, their personal timeline. Yeah, I was wondering if, no. it wasn't a, if it wasn't a Kang thing. No, it's not. Sage is literally the concept of truth. He's appeared previously as Veritas in Strange Tales with Doctor Strange and stuff like that. So... Yeah. Oh. So it's literally you look into his face and you see the truth of who you are. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know why. I'd like. Comics are so fucking weird because you tell me that this is a character who's the embodiment of truth, and I'm go, well, yep. Like. Okay. Okay. Because I've we haven't. I don't think we've met her yet, but like death is out there, so. And I have no problem We've with that. We've met death. Have we? We've met death. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I if, forget where it was, but we have met her. If there's death, then that's fine. And then truth, yeah, all right. Personification of the universe literally exists yeah. in this, yeah. I have, the universe I have, exists in this universe. I have watched I a man know. punch the, exo- the personification of the universe. Uh, I think truth being a person that walks around, not that hard. Yeah, um, so, blah, uh, so in the course of this fight, Kerr, there's a gun that gets dropped that Condor has that erases people's memories and stuff, and so Kerr tries to use it to Starscream Sphinx, um, And, like, Condor gets in the way, so Condor gets blasted, and Sphinx is just like, well, here you go, you moron, and turns him into an actual Condor, like I said, and Condor just fucks off to be a Condor. Um, And then Kerr, he's just like, you're an asshole. So he makes him think think he's in hell, Uh, and he's just like, yeah, he can just remain there for the time being. Uh, but then, like, Powerhouse and Nova are fighting. Powerhouse knocks Nova out, at which point he gets knocked out by the Sphinx. So, yeah. So, number number 11 has a cover by Rich Buckler, Frank Giacoya, and Danny Crespi, and is colored by Marie Severin and lettered by Gaspar Saladino. What, what we have here, and this is why, like, the whole, the whole Condor thing is just, yeah is because the Sphinx has uh, Nova and Powerhouse. Powerhouse, he erases... uh, He erases Powerhouse's memory of everything and just teleports him away. Uh, But then, like, he tries to... He tries to... He looks into Rich's mind and discovers that he has the information that 
uh, Sphinx needs. Like, this information he needs to break the curse of his immortality and allow him to die. Uh, the problem is that he's unable, because of the Nova Force, he's not able to just reach in and take it. So, he erases Rich's memory of being Nova, which ostensibly erases the protections, I guess, but then teleports him back to his house. Like... Yeah, this is the confusing thing. So, like, mm -hmm. in order to get the secret, he has to be Richard Ryder. Right? Like, full and in toto. Including, you know, being at school and doing all of that stuff for some reason. Like, otherwise his whole consciousness won't knit together right, I guess. And then, <clears throat> until that's done and completed, then he can extract the information from his head. But, like, I don't know, man. Why are you... This seems like a long walk. For everyone. This... It's very, very... This is a writer contrivance to get him out of this situation. Um, yeah. And that's... It's kind of bald in that way. But... Uh, yeah, um, it is. Because there is no... There is no good reason... To let him go. Why the Sphinx has to let him go. Yeah. So, Richard returns home with no memory that he was Nova. But then over the course of the day, people keep talking about how he'd had an accident. And how... Uh, he gets called into the guidance counselor's office to talk about his constant um, absences. And his dad loses his shit with him. And all of this leads him eventually to remember that he's Nova. So he and Bernie and Caps go to the television studio, studio to... I don't know. Like, this was trip. the thing that was supposed to happen? Yeah. Like, it's not a field trip, because it's only the three of them. Uh -huh. This is just a thing they'd set up with... One of the guys the, that worked there. You know, some guy who works there. Yeah. So, uh, seeing the Starship Enterprise <laughs> on one of the TV screens, uh, he's like, uh, God, what? And he goes into the other room, and he's just like... I'm Nova. Fuck. And like, but then the Sphinx shows up and the two of them have a battle and, um, the, I kind of like this. I kind of like this because on the one hand, it's a contrivance, uh, that keeps us from having to have a full on knockdown drag out between the Sphinx and Nova at this time. On the other hand, I kind of like it because it is a great character moment in regards to Nova is getting his ass kicked uh -huh. and uh, gets punched down and goes to get back up and the Sphinx punches him down again and he goes to get back up and the Sphinx is just like, I realize now I've been wrong. He's like, I've been calling you a boy this entire time. When clearly you are, I have been dealing with a man. He's like, I will allow you this time to rest and recover, and we will have it out at a later date. And then he disappears. Um, yeah. I, 
I like the other thing that happens at the beginning of this fight is that Sphinx clearly gets pissed off that he has to be physically involved. Like, and by that mm-hmm. I mean punching and tearing shit up. Like he's mm-hmm. he's unhappy about that, which is an interesting character thing as well. Like I didn't think mm-hmm. I'd start to see depth in Sphinx because he's named Sphinx, um, but like there's there's new there's nuances there too. Uh, but yeah. the the ending is good um, with Richard being just like. Nope, gotta get back up. Alright, here we go. And especially because throughout most of these his run this week, he's been like talking about how he sucks at this. And mm-hmm. he's right. He does kinda suck at this. Like he's a He really does. He's a bro like he has no technique when it comes to fighting anything. He has no clear hold of his powers, but like that's this is a good point or, or like the counterpoint to that is that he doesn't give up like he just right he gets his he gets kicked in the sh- he gets his shit kicked in and he goes okay that didn't work gotta stand up and keep going and like this is the one time where it's like no I don't give a fuck you can pinch me down every however many times you like I'm going to keep kicking back up. Yeah. And you will. Ne- I will never let you win. I will do this poorly, but I will do it. And um, yeah, that's cool as shit. So. Yeah, when you compare him to, because again, they're trying to do sort of a nouveau Spider-Man yeah. thing. Um, when you compare him to Spider-Man at the same point, like Spider-Man was actually fucking like winning, you know, yeah. like he would take villains down and they would go to jail even from the very get-go. Whereas Richard is... Richard is shit. He is, he is really, really bad at this. And... I didn't think that that would be as compelling as it is. Um, yeah. Because... I really thought that we were going to do... You know, three or four story arcs of him on Earth... And then get him in the ship and let's go, right? Uh, yeah. At least to get fucking training. But no, he's just yeah. like, I have to be a hero because I have these powers and I'm so bad at it, but I have to try. And it's like, yeah. that's actually the best part of him is like... Yeah. Because Peter, Peter's a whole other ball of wax because he... We we like him because not he's good, he's funny, he's um he's good at what he's doing, he's funny, he's terrible with women, like all of that. That's that's why we like and he's so fucking earnest. This is like a different kind of earnesty where it's like, I am so fucking terrible at this, but I have to keep doing it because yeah. if I don't, I will feel like a piece of shit. Um I don't know. I like I like I'm like I'm liking Richard a lot more than I thought I would. And I think I think what's interesting about uh about the the Sphinx at the end of this is the fact that you know, this isn't just this isn't just a supervillain. This is a guy who's been alive for 
thousands of years. Yeah. Um, and who has no reason to respect Richard. Right. None at all. Um, Richard has not won <laughs> against the Sphinx. And he's his balls have barely dropped. He's got like two chest hairs. There is no reason for the Sphinx to take Richard seriously. But then Richard like shows a shows some backbone, and the Sphinx is just like, okay, I'm. I respect you more than I did. I'm curious to see where this goes. Let's do it. Yeah. And it's you know it's it's uh it's slight. But it is it is an interesting admission of okay, there's more to you than I gave you credit for. Well, it's just I'm gonna give you a little bit of a chance. Yeah, it's just, huh? You actually—that's what it is. You've actually garnered my attention. Like, yeah, I had to come here and punch you, like, a lot, but you didn't die. So, okay, let's. Now that I have to respect you a tiny bit because you made me come here. Fuck. Okay, fine. Let's yeah. let's see where this goes then. Um yeah. so. Also, I can't kill he can't kill him because the secret's in his head and he needs the secret. Well, right, yeah. right, right. Like, but like that's Man, this really this villain relationship is a lot more nuanced when you start like picking it apart. Yeah. I like it. Next two issues we can kind of burn through. Let's do. They don't really do a lot. Uh, Nova number 12 has a cover by John Buscema, Frank Giacoya, John Romita, and John Costanza. Color, and the issue is colored by Glennis Ween and lettered by Joe Rosen. Richard Ryder is being sent to study with his uncle for a minute uh, because his grades have been so terrible. His uncle is a scientist. He misses the train and flies there, only to arrive and discover that his uncle hasn't come to pick him up. A dude shows up at the police station across the street, uh, being like, he's probably already dead, let's go! So Richard rides up with them. Uh, and it turns out that there are four people who have come to Richard Rider, or Richard's uncle's house, not counting Richard. One is Peter Parker, another is uh, Michael Lincoln, or no, Michael Lincoln was there, sorry. Uh, Franklin Risk, who's a businessman, Harry Days, uh, Jason Dean, um, all of whom are there to find out about a new device that uh, Ralph Ryder has developed. Um in addition, there's also Michael Lincoln, who was just fired that day from being uh, Ralph Ryder's assistant. And Peter Parker was there to look through some of Ryder's books about physics. So we have the obligatory, like, heroes fighting heroes because Nova goes out to look for the killer. Um, but, you know, Spidey happens across this guy Lincoln and they fight but then it's like oh man um the butler figures out who it is because Photon had said something that one of the three men in the room had just said 
and he's like, I know who it is, but then he's killed before he can say anything. Yeah, right. Woo. Did we skip over the fact that if... Yeah, Photon is the villain that burned through the wall and uh, murdered his uncle. Right, I, I mean, and so the question I, is... Who is Photon? Which of three guys, these three guys is Photon? Mm-hmm. So, and amazing. It is sorry. It's so difficult for me to keep track of who's who and what and where throughout this story. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's because I think in Nova number twelve we discover that two of the three guys are not who they claim to be. Yeah, at the end of it, it they're like out, one is a Magia lawyer and the other is a right. somebody a representative from AIM. And the third guy, Jason Dean. Jason Dean works for the Magia, and Harry Days works for AIM. Um, but yeah, uh, at the end of Nova Number Twelve, the plug gets pulled on the lamp, and when the lights come back on, the three guys are missing. So, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Number One Seventy One has a cover by Ross Andrew and Frank Giacoya. And is written by Len Wein, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Glennis Wein, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Len Wein. Uh, this begins a chase between uh, Spider-Man and Nova and the three men. It turns out that they go up to the uh, lighthouse in order to escape via hydrofoil with these AIM dudes. Um, Harry and Liz are talking about their wedding who cares um <laughs> by and large what it what it works out as is we've cleared peter parker because uh nova explains to the police that he saw peter parker or he was with peter parker when photon attacked for a second time to kill the butler uh we've cleared mike michael franklin or lincoln whoever it was lincoln uh because whatever um and then yeah the uh we wind up with this knockdown drag out between aim and the two heroes uh and then at the end of it um photon takes richard's father hostage because his father had come to come up there when Richard called him to say, Hey, your brother's dead. Uh, <laughs> and so they then save him and detective steel is like, uh, well, the, your, your uncle left or he left us a clue and we see that he would like, there was this dumb thing about all of the, uh, pages of a calendar that were arranged around the body and we discover that it was all of the months between uh, July and December which spell out Jason D mm-hmm. and uh, so they unmask him and it is. Who cares? Moving on. <laughs> uh, all right. 
Incredible Hulk number 212 has a cover by Rich Buckler, Ernie Chan, and John Costanza, and is written by Leden Ween, penciled by Sal Bushima, inked by Ernie Chan, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Len Ween. Um, Jim makes it to New York, but then is attacked by a dude who he fends off, but that dude is then uh, grabbed by the constrictor, uh, and he's like, don't kill me, I attached a tracker to the kid, and constrictor's like, fine, you can leave town then. Um, this so, isn't Constrictor's first appearance, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, it is? Um, yeah. they kind of nailed it. Yeah. I mean, I like the costume a lot, and, uh, the cables are really scary, and, uh, he's ruthless. Like, I, I like Constrictor a lot in this if as a first appearance this is this you knocked it out of the park because this yeah. is basically the guy like yeah there's there's not much else we have to do this is the guy yeah um we get a brief moment between uh bruce and his landlord where he finally decides to tell her, her last name but she doesn't really twig to it she's yeah. just like okay and she's like so who the hell are you and he's like, I'd rather keep my past to myself, if that's okay. And uh, this lady, like... I don't know. Like I said last time, unless you're seeing something overtly criminal, like, for all you know, he's just... He's just a dude. Like, yeah, he takes some weird guys up to his room, but that doesn't mean they're criminal... That doesn't mean he's hiding anything other than, like, he has weird friends. Or maybe he just picks up picks up dudes. Who cares? Like, let him live his life, lady. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Betty, uh, Betty has a makeover. Um, and it's a fairly standard, like with mousy to hot type makeover like yeah which is fine like whatever but it's it there's nothing here that's bucking the cliche no. i guess um do we know where she is no no i don't think they specifically say where she is i i feel like maybe based on based on shit it may be la i was feeling la or san francisco but you know i don't know uh because i got kind of a rodeo vibe yeah but, yeah yeah uh but i don't know so she's she's coming out of her shell cool um jim finds jim, sorry jim finds banner in the phone book or he calls directory services and is like hey i'm looking for bruce banner and they're like they got six of those and he's like oh or no actually they just find none i'm like it's a city of six million people here yeah. uh but anyway eventually he actually tracks him down even though uh bruce has had no time to register his whereabouts with anyone um but they so he gets a hold of bruce called and 
is like, hey, I'm in the village at the corner of this and this, and, uh, but then something happens to Jim on Jim's side of the line. Bruce runs out into the street and is like, okay, we gotta go. Okay, and then, oh, we get the most annoying character of all of Hulk, I think. I do not like this doctor dude. He talks funny on constantly in a way that I'm just like... Oh, Gaffer? Yeah, Gaffer. Oh, well, yeah, but, I mean, he's... That's not the Hulk book's fault. That That's Nick Fury. Oh, it is? He's been yeah. around? Yeah. Oh. I don't like him. He he talks like Bernie <laughs> from Nova. Yeah, but for some uh, reason it's, like, easier for me to, to handle from him. I don't know. But it, it... And Bernie doesn't hit it as hard. Or as often. I don't know. Like, I, I have a hard time... I just don't know. This doesn't feel like anyone talks like this at all. It feels very caricature-ish. I mean, there are, I guess. But, like, the thing about it is Gaffer and Bernie both refer to people as boy chick. Yes. And it's one thing from Gaffer, I guess, because he's older. But in Bernie's case, he's referring to people his same age as boy chick. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> but I don't know. I, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. The, uh, the, the upshot of all of this is that, uh, Shield finds a um, a thing that's giving off gamma radiation. So they bring in Ross and Clay Quartermain. This doesn't really matter right now, but it will in a couple issues. Yeah. Uh, so Hulk Banner gets to where um, Jim disappeared. And Jim is being loaded into a car. Uh, Banner's like, wait, I want to talk to you. And so they try to hit him. But of course, he turns into the Hulk mid-vehicular homicide. And uh, they're just like, ah, fuck. (laughs) So the rest of this issue is Constrictor versus Hulk. And it's not a a bad fight at all. Yeah. Um, It ends when... Constrictor lashes out with his, um, the coils, the coils, and winds up hitting a lamp post, which causes him to be electrocuted, and they collapse. Um, yeah, woohoo! Um, Incredible Hulk number two thirteen. Has a cover by Ernie Chan and Danny Crespi and is inked by Tom Palmer. Um, and so Hulk and Jim are walking along. They're beset by the New York Police Department because, of course, they are. Um, and this issue, we are, we are told not to fuck with the Quintronic Man. Um, and I think it's primarily because... 
if you fuck with the Quintronic Man, it's just going to be embarrassing for everyone concerned. <laughs> uh, but they... The he looks bad, public... you look bad, everybody looks bad. Well, the, the <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that... If you get beat by the Quintronic Man, that looks bad for you. Yeah. If you beat the Quintronic Man, especially if you're someone like the Hulk, it's it still... looks like you winning a water balloon fight against a five-year-old girl with no arms. Like, <laughs> the... Not only was the outcome never in doubt the question then becomes like why would you even do that what did she why did you think that was gonna be okay you're the bad guy here <laughs> yeah so the quintronic man it turns out is like a shitty voltron yeah except that instead of five badass robotic lions that combine into the defender of the universe it's one shitty gold robot with five bubbles um at various joints like the the ones at the in the head and the shoulders kind of make sense it's these dudes down here in the thighs that i'm like ah that can't be comfortable well and also like if you're trying to build an unbeatable robot thing you don't then highlight hey aim for this right here yeah if you take this out this part stops working yeah that's uh that's that's some legend of zelda rules right yeah that's that's shitty design i mean like when it comes when it comes to stuff like voltron or stuff like gundam it's like okay you know there's a cockpit and in the case of Gundam, the cockpit's usually in about the same place, but it's also under a lot of armor yeah. and stuff like that. It's not just it's not just plexiglass or whatever the fuck this is. I they put shields up around it, but it's just not enough. Um, it's not, and so of course they lose. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we have we have. Uh, Jack of Hearts, who is... N this is not his first appearance. We just didn't read his first appearances because they were in Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And if we read everything, then we would literally be probably still in 1967. Um, but the, the upshot of it is Jack of Hearts is out fighting crime to avenge his dad... He deals with these this group of thugs, and then he hears a news report about the Hulk, and he's like, that's what I'll do next. Um, we have April uh, in her apartment, and there's someone moving around who gives a shit. And then uh, the only other thing that kind of like moves a minor plot thread along is at Gamma Base, the dude that walked out of the desert is up and walking around, and being tended to by Samson, who was... He walked into a lab and stuff sort of felt familiar, but he couldn't really decide. And Samson's like, I'm going to play psychiatrist instead of hero. And I'm like, good. 
Yeah. You're better yeah. at that. Do that. Yeah. Um. Anyway. The only uh, the only other other thing is that the the people studying the uh, weird gamma thing aboard the helicarrier leave it alone, and it then opens, um, and something gets out. So, Incredible Hulk number two fourteen has a cover by Ernie Chan and John Costanza, and is inked by Ernie Chan. Uh, this this issue is primar- primarily the Hulk versus Jack of Hearts, um, and it's it's your pretty standard like somebody goes after the Hulk because they think the Hulk's a menace, and midway through they realize, oh, if I hadn't poked at the Hulk, then this whole thing where people are being threatened would not have happened, and. Uh, after a certain point, you just kind of have to be like, well, yeah. Well, like, this is one of the better versions of that, to my to my mind. It is. Um, it is It is definitely that, and it is definitely getting old, and it, I kind of would like everyone to kind of know this by now. Um, but, I mean, Hawkeye has to be told repeatedly. Uh, <laughs> he, Hawkeye makes this mistake regularly um but he i feel like this is this is one of the few times where they spend enough time on him learning this lesson that he it actually feels like oh maybe this actually permeated for this one yeah um yeah so i don't know i i feel like yes it is very much okay we put some but you know now this ship is in danger because i pissed off the hulk and it's gonna explode and we're all gonna get fucking fucked with uh but uh i really this is a my fault i fucked up um the only other thing is that the uh magician whose house this is this is the one thing i really like and not because of kropotkin the great who gives a shit but like jim and the jim and banner return to banner's apartment and while they're there Kropotkin the Great is poking around and then April comes in and everything starts stressing Bruce out and he's like, okay, I need a minute. And Jim's like, okay, everybody needs to get the fuck out. And Kropotkin's just like, and April though is just like, what the fuck? This, I'm, this is my place. Like, what are you doing? Um, but I like that it's just like, no, you don't understand. You need to leave now, like, badly. So, go. Um, but so, Banner jumps out the window, uh, becomes the Hulk, and that then leads to the fight. Um, aboard the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, it's the Bi-Beast. Of course it's the Bi-Beast. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Like, they hadn't even shown the Bi-Beast, and I'm like, it's the Bi-Beast. Um, but whatever, uh, at the end of this, the, the fight between Jack of Hearts and Hulk moves to a boat that was on fire. Yeah. Um, and it runs up that they, the firefighters are just like quick tow it out into the harbor. So they do the boat explodes. Jack of Hearts is 
shot out of the smokestack like a cannon. Um, and everybody's like, well, I guess the Hulk is dead. And Jack's like, mm, okay, sure. Um, I actually, so, like, this is a really dark Hulk moment. Uh, where, so Jack figures out, like, he finally figures out that, like, oh, I fucked up and this is legitimately my fault. And yeah. then, um, you know, this is not a consequence. This is a consequence of my actions. I'm the one that messed up here, and it's not just because I'm not just learning that because the um, because the uh, I'm getting my ass kicked. It's also because I put people in danger. Like I, right. I messed up, and uh, well, he, and that's the one thing I really like about this is that as they're fighting. They kind of stumble across these firefighters, and Jack of Hearts is just like, "Oh no, yeah, uh, this but, is on me." And he, but he's like, once he finally tries to communicate with the Hulk, like, "But we're too, too far gone." He, yeah, we we Hulk is going to smash you now, and I mean, this is almost a Hulk killed him. Like, I know Jack of Hearts is kind of sturdy, but like he bashes him with an entire fucking smokestack uh yeah it's it looks bad yeah anyway yep. so jack of hearts crawls out of the ocean he's fine hulk gets blasted up he's also fine yeah and the cops are just like hey good job and jack of hearts is like uh kind of yeah not i really. guess yeah, so Incredible Hulk 215 has a cover by Rich Buckler, Ernie Chan, and Gaspar Saladino, and is lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Joe Rosen. Um, this starts with Hulk climbing out of the water to find a couple of mobsters who are about to kill a guy called Louis the Lip, and they're just like, oh shit, and like shoot at him. So he throws their car, they, they realize the shooting isn't helping, so they jump in their car to drive away but then hulk grabs it and like throws it out into the ocean <laughs> and then like louis the lip is just like hey if you ever need help i'm louis the lip i owe you big time and he's just like get out of my face and throws him as well um but then uh <clears throat> so the by beast is now loose on the helicarrier and he takes it over and he's like well since Humanity is to blame for the race that spawned me being destroyed, even though I guess they weren't. Uh, they, they're they like, well, we got to do something. So, um, they are then Banner uh, is found by Jim who brings him a pair of or a set of clothes. Uh, and no sooner does this happen than they're like, fuck. Okay. So, um, they, they head back to his apartment. April is fighting with Kropotkin. Um, and Jim and Banner show up and, um, 
like, um, April's just like, who the fuck do you think you are to Banner? And Banner's just like, have I done anything illegal? Have I done anything that re would require you to kick me out? No, then please just let me hit live my life. And, uh, he's right. And, uh, and at that point, a... suddenly he gets beamed up and everybody's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> of course, Jim is just like Hulk stuff. And, uh, so he gets beamed aboard the, uh, the helicarrier, um, in the process of getting beamed up, he gets angry and becomes the Hulk. Once he's there, Hulk is just like, Ross! And uh, so he goes to and starts chasing Ross down. Ross manages to stall long enough for them to be like, we brought you here to help. And Hulk is like, Ross want Hulk help? And Ross is like, yeah, like, can we do this, please? And uh, Hulk is like, okay, Hulk help, I guess. And uh, so, yeah. I actually um, I like the part where Ross is like, has the presence of mind to be like, oh, shit. And he just takes off to where he knows the Bi-Beast is. And he is like, mm -hmm. so this is the plan, clearly, because they had interference set up along the way for when Hulk inevitably starts catching up to him. Yeah. And uh, gives him enough space to get to where the Bi-Beast is. And then a trapdoor underneath him lets him escape. But now at that point, Hulk is so furious that he's like going through the wall. Uh, yeah. And Bi-Beast is like, oh shit, the Hulk. Okay. And he just yeah. downs him with lasers. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Uh, Incredible Hulk number 216 has a cover by Ernie Chan and John Costanza and is lettered by John Costanza. Um, the Hulk is being blasted with lasers. Um, Gaffer, Gaffer activates a trapdoor, whatever. Um, Hulk sees General Ross and is immediately just like, ah, and it's at this point that they're just like, we brought you here to, here to help, please. And he's like, okay. Hulk needs, um, or Ross needs Hulk help? Yeah. Um, and they're like, look, the Bi-Beast is getting ready to launch a nuclear attack that's going to kill everybody you love. And the Hulk is just like, the Hulk is like, Betty? Jim? they die and so he's like okay hulk do it um and so they they make their way through and uh they uh, they are trying to get to the core uh of the computer system they manage to make their way through due to the hulk's just sheer unrelenting strength and bloody mindedness yeah uh they get there and he like rips the main chunk of the computer out as the counter is counting down to one you know it's it's your standard like oh shit uh moment but he does it uh but then the um 
since that was also the power for the helicarrier, it starts to drop out of the sky. Um, Emergency systems deploy, so we're not going to f- die immediately. But yeah, um, there was a there was a problem, and they need yeah. to start fixing it. However, the Bi- the the Bi- beast is not going to let them off so easily. He comes into the core room and starts throwing chunks of computer around. Uh, they have a fight. Blah 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 blah. Uh, Hulk gets a really good uh, Hulk is strongest one there is, um, where he basically rips up the floor and makes a by beast burrito out of it, um, and then the emergency systems stop, and now now we're well and truly fucked because yeah. the. Uh, Helicarrier just starts falling out of the sky. Bybeast and um, Hulk end up on the deck, on the top deck, at which point they're fighting each other and so single-mindedly focused on each other that when the main systems kick back in after Gaffer puts everything together, they're uh, jolted off the side and fall into wherever and we have a oh no the hulk died and even ross is like uh, i mean i feel bad if that's the case but i don't think that's the case so well i like i like that ross is visibly upset and this is this is one of the, again God. this is something that gets lost with ross is that he's not a single single-minded he, monomaniac he, he yeah, is you know, he is visibly upset about the fact that he did what he had to do, but it it clearly hurt the Hulk, who even now he doesn't hate. No. Like he he knows the Hulk has to be stopped. Right. But he doesn't want to kill Hulk. He doesn't want to kill Banner. He just you know, it's he's got a job to do and he hates that this is the way it's played out. Yeah. Um, so Incredible Hulk number 217, I feel like we can just, like, shotgun this real quick. Yeah, do it. Uh, covered by Jim Starlin and lettered by Gaspar Saladino and John Costanza, Hulk, uh, comes ashore and, uh, happens across some people who are, uh, who are cooking. And, uh, basically what happens is he finds a bunch of people from a sideshow. He finds, like, the dog-faced boy. He finds a little person named Major Minor, who's literally, literally his whole thing is he's a little person in, like, an army uniform. Um, like an old European army uniform. Uh, and then a Stilts the Rubber Man and Blossom the Fat Lady. Uh, and inside their wagon is a woman that we later find out is a nymph, a water nymph. Um, it turns out that these people, that these sideshow people were all in the circus that became the circus of crime. Uh, they found this woman. The ringmaster figured out she was a water nymph and could he could use her to... Uh, be Maybe. led to untold riches. Uh, 
she meanwhile is dying from not being uh, uh, in the water. So in the end, Hulk holds off the circus of crime and everybody has to say goodbye because she's dying without being in the water. Uh, and so like her, it it's very poignant because all of her people are dead. So she's alone and she's found people she belongs with, but she cannot be with the people she belongs with because it's killing her. Yeah. Very sad. Hulk sad. Hulk take her to water. Hulk leave. Hulk yeah. alone again. So, yeah. Um, and then... Oh, yeah. I did read this. Uh, <laughs> Incredible Hulk number 218 has a cover by Ernie Chan and is written by Len Wein Rogers, and Roger Stern, penciled by Keith Pollard and George Tusca, and lettered by John Costanza. Um, the short version is Samson reads a newspaper saying that Hulk is dead. He doesn't really buy it. As he's wandering along, he finds this train that is getting ready to go over a bridge that is dangerously damaged. So he holds it together long enough for the train to pass at which point it collapses. But he doesn't think that's the end of it, so he hops aboard the train, and sure enough, it is then derailed by the rhino. The rhino is just like, with the Hulk gun, I'm the best there is. And Samson's just like, hmm, no. First of all, I don't think the Hulk is gone. Second of all, even if he were, you're still second rate. Uh, but by bringing up the Hulk incessantly, uh, Samson is able to taunt the rhino into making a mistake, which leads to the rhino falling into a well and yeah. Um, the, the Hulk I, only appears in like a, t a page long thing. The, yeah. Just uh, to prove that the Hulk isn't dead. Um, so the one thing I do like about this Samson fight at the beginning of the issue is that after the train derails, Rhino takes off um, and Samson has to make the choice between whether to take off after Rhino or help with the train derailment. And he makes the right choice, which is to, you know, start lifting trains off people and right. uh, generally getting them to safety. And it's, it's a good moment. Um, and I like, yeah. I actually like that they took the time to be like, look, all this human misery because of the train fight. And uh, see, he's really helping. Um, we don't do this a lot. And, well, and it's I think, refreshing when you see it. I think it does help sort of reform the character. Oh, yeah. Of... Because he was a Samson somewhat, because he has been a giant asshole. Yeah. Uh, between, between like his dealings with Banner and his dealings with Betty and Glenn, like this is this is going a long way toward establishing the character of Len Samson that we see later, who is actually like an all-around good guy. Yeah. Uh, that was the the hardest part for me when he first showed up because it was like, what are you doing? Why are you yeah. trying to prove you're better than the Hulk? You're not better than the... Stronger than the Hulk? What do you care? Like, what are you yeah. doing, man? Um, yeah. And this is way closer to that guy. Like, yeah. I still don't need him punching the rhino. But, like, 
he even tries to save the rhino when he starts falling into the well. So yeah, I don't know. Better. Yeah, there's a there's a brief mention by the rhino of a dude that got him out of prison and gave him a purpose, but I honestly don't know if that's like leading to something or if it's just whatever. This is just how we're explaining the rhino being here. So I guess we'll see. Top five. Yeah. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top Five. Number five for me. Kingpin, Kingpin takes an afternoon for himself. Uh, like, not really a part of the, any of the things that we read, but I just love that idea of him just being like, ugh. Spider-Man and Daredevil this fucking month. I cannot fucking believe this. You know what? I'm just going to take the afternoon off, and uh, I think I'll just destroy a man. You know, for me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I like to imagine that with, uh, like, Count Rugen from <laughs> Princess Bride. Like, one of his underlings just being like, you know, if you don't have your health, then yeah. you don't have anything. <laughs> Um, okay, and then number four, I think we skipped past it, but Nova saves a cat. That was cute as hell. I don't yeah. give a shit. Like, um, because we don't get to see them just doing normal-ass hero crap that often. That was yeah. really cute as hell, and it was, like, a good, like, reset for Nova, too, just as a as a hero to be like oh yeah sometimes it isn't punching deranged condor men sometimes it's just i needed a win it was a good win for him um number three is uh the nova computer is available like as a plot point moving that story forward knowing it's there it's tantalizingly close to actually getting some goddamn answers for what this whole nova thing is um Mm -hmm. that's cool uh, number two is Jack of Hearts learns his lesson, and then uh, I mean we expounded on that fairly well. And then the the number one is the I'm so bad at this, but I have to keep going. Nova fight against Sphinx at the end of whatever that was. I don't remember seven, uh, not seven, twelve, eleven. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. Uh, that was probably it was it was one of those things a lot like what we did last week where we had to unpack a lot of stuff to find good in it it was a it was a moment that I probably blew past while I was reading as just a yeah. this is a thing that happens all the time especially being nouveau as you said nouveau spider-man like this is a very spider-man thing we have to go through where pick yourself up just push you know push the collapsed sewer drain off of yourself and let's go well Um, right Uh, into the spider verse was nothing but yeah get back up yeah exactly and this is this is a i think i probably blew past it because it's like okay he has to do this but when we started unpacking it there was a lot going on not only with him but also with sphinx um that was really interesting so uh, yeah, and it was. And that's, it's very that's one of the specific to this. Nova, too. Yeah. Like because he's getting his ass handed to him, because he's so bad at this, and he knows it. 
like there's no arrogance there uh i think yeah. it's 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 a diff it's a subtler enough spin on that get your ass back up um that you only really get through uh this kind of reading that we're doing this kind of context so yeah that was cool so that's me that's that's one of the things I really like about doing this is the fact that in the course of talking about this stuff we'll land on things that you know yeah we may we may not have that may not have occurred to us during the course of reading the book but that have been maybe kind of slowly doing yeah over I mean, the course of the days since and that now that we're talking about it leads to an actual conclusion of oh that's actually something i really like that i didn't originally yeah like well so. i mean the classic example of that is uh spider-man 122 and 23 because i didn't know that that aftermath was going to be that fucking heavy um yeah like I knew that they were going to do something, but like him fighting Power Man in 123 as fucking catharsis was so cool. And mm -hmm. you don't really understand it unless you've read a lot of Spider-Man up to that point. So mm -hmm. this is very much the same thing where even though it's a really young book, they managed to put some actual nuance in something that seems fairly rote. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. Okay. Your turn. All right. Uh, number five, an issue of Eternals that doesn't make me hate myself. Uh, <laughs> I was on my list. That's, that's an honorable mention from me. Yeah. Uh, number four is, uh, Condor gets turned into a Condor. And I think, I think my favorite part of this is the fact that uh, the fact that he doesn't say what kind of condor he turns him into but the thing is condors live in two, one of two places the Andes or California and this is New Yorkish like <laughs> I don't know I don't know if we've established where exp explicitly Nova lives but it's in that New York area Staten Island and, I think uh, because he reads the Daily Bugle yeah and so the idea that not only is Condor uh, now turned into just a random bird but he's a bird that's going to die alone um, yeah or he's going so. to just depopulate the shit out of a uh, prey species and then die alone <laughs> i mean it could yeah it can be both uh, yeah. <laughs> the one thing that i that occurred to me as i was talking about this that i didn't really address when we were reading nova is one thing that is slightly interesting about powerhouse is the fact that as he and nova are fighting nova is like look it doesn't have to be this way. And Powerhouse is like, you keep saying that, but you keep fighting me. Condor is using me, but he's also saved my life multiple times. And yeah, Powerhouse is really annoying, but also that's an interesting... The more I think about it, that's also kind of interesting. So yeah. 
I don't know. I may need to chew on that some more. But anyway, yeah. um, number f- uh, three. Number three. Uh, Ross is sad. Yeah, um, I mean that. That is not a well that I thought we'd keep going back to when we for when you got when you first invited me to do this. Is that there's there's actual real dimension to that character like i I did not believe or no it's just so unexpected um like well it it is when when the majority of one's experience with ross is what ross winds up becoming yeah which is that single-minded caricature of just you know he is, he becomes Ahab. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that that sort of character isn't interesting, but I think the the char- the thing about the thing about a character like Ahab is Ahab is interesting for the course of a book, um, right? The course of a novel with with a character like Ross who's been around for for 50 60 years now almost uh that's going to get boring and the fact the the fact that they started out with a nuanced character and in stark defiance of what you would expect which is that you'd start with a you'd start with a cipher and then start adding character. They've taken character away. Yeah. Um, and that really frustrates me. But whatever. Um, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, number two is Sphinx and Nova. Um, you know, Sphinx is a character I've I've encountered him before because I you know like after annihilation i'm like okay cool nova like i'd read i'd read some nova back in the 90s because of like new warriors and stuff Mm -hmm. but i just never got into the character until annihilation and then post annihilation the sphinx shows up and i'm just like oh my god what the fuck is this um i like it i like it here i don't yeah i don't know there's there's stuff that I, you know, we covered. I I don't think the Sphinx is there yet, but I think the, like you said, the fact that, you know, at the end of this, he's just like, okay, you've got my attention. Let's see how it goes. And, yeah. Yeah, he, he's obvious. No, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to be able to add much there. He's great. Or it's not... Their relationship is... Slow. Like, for a villain, hero, dichotomy... It's a relationship in books. And uh, they... It's slow because at first he's just like, You're a flea below my notice, and I don't care about you. And then, by the end of it, he's like... Alright, fine. Let's... I can't kill you, because I need the thing in your head, but I don't have to keep beating the shit out of you either so well yeah and that's what that's what's interesting just the the way 
just in a couple of issues, the way the Sphinx is, the Sphinx goes from, I don't give a shit about you, to, oh my god, you have what I need, so I can't kill you, to, you have what I need, and I've discovered that there's more to you than I gave you credit for. Right. Huh. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. So, yeah. And uh, lastly is uh, Leonard Sampson, uh, simply because, you know, I think, I think that the writing team has realized this is a character we're going to do something with. He's a part of the supporting cast now, so we need to make an effort to make him less of an antagonist yeah. to Bruce and more of a well-rounded character and in doing so like this this even this first attempt is has already resulted in a more well-rounded character than we've seen thus far was your first was your first exposure to samson in x factor the peter david x factor yeah okay because I think that was mine too. Like my first real exposure, he probably popped up in a couple of things I was reading from 2008 or whatever. But like, yeah. But I mean, he he may have he may have shown up. Like you know, when I was a kid, I forget if he showed up in like uh, Infinity Gauntlet and the like. Yeah. Um. Because by and large, when I was younger, I read predominantly X books. Right. Um, so yeah the the first time I remember encountering uh, encountering Len Sampson was the uh, the X Factor issue. Um, now, when you say your first exposure to him was X Factor. Was it the the sequel version from the Mutant Town X Factor? No, no, no. Or was it the original X Factor? I had read that issue of X Factor because I think you were like we were arguing about. Um, we were sorry. Some assholes in my neighborhood are already setting off fireworks. Um, it's the problem with recording on this particular day, I guess. <laughs> yep. Uh, we were having an argument about, or a discussion about Quicksilver, and you were like, oh shit, have you ever read this issue of X-Factor because it makes Quicksilver make sense? And I was like, well, no. And then I, I have read it since, and it's like, oh, but like, that's the guy I want Len Wein to, or Len Wein, Len Sampson to be, is that very calm but exacting and like getting at what he's needing to do with the discussion and like unpacking people in a gentle way so that they can see the parts too um that's that's the guy um but you know we can't all be peter david and they're they're trying here and uh it's it's good it's good to see that there's uh, forward movement, like you say, that the bull, the bullpen in general is like we're gonna need this guy 
to step up and be something else than he is right now because what he is right now is garbage and yeah uh he's gonna be around so let's do something i i like yeah. that too yeah so and if you dear follower have not read that issue of x factor is it i think it's x factor number 98 oh uh, yeah that feels right but it's uh, volume one right or is that volume two that's volume one uh yeah it's uh it wasn't 98 it was uh fuck that book went a long time it did uh because it went until 98 At least on Unlimited, it's it's marked as uh, eighty six to ninety eight. Huh. Anyway, the point is, if you haven't, if you have not read the issue with Len Sampson in. Uh, the original run of X Factor. Uh, it is phenomenal. Um, it is one of my all-time favorite issues. And it manages, like you said, it makes Quicksilver work in a single page mm-hmm. in a way that nobody had done prior to that and i think that's one thing that i mean you know everyone had had portrayed quicksilver as um as uh as an asshole but no one had really bothered to explain why he was an asshole uh and it was x factor volume one number 87 um the the thing about it is it not only does that with um with quicksilver like strong guy of all people in that issue makes me tear up um because you know if if you're unfamiliar with the character of strong guy he uh his power is he takes kinetic energy and it makes him larger and stronger, but he has to expel that kinetic energy or else his body is permanently deformed. He didn't know that when he first got his powers and wound up permanently deformed and in constant pain because of it. And Samson is like, oh my God, you always seem like such a, you know, an easygoing guy. And Strong Guy's like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> he's like, uh, if people know you're hurting, they will pity you or they'll rip you apart. And he's like, I don't let on because the guys, they'll feel sorry if they know I'm hurting. So I make jokes to cover it. Uh, the team are the first real friends I've had. And if they pitied me, it'd kill me. And, 
you know, it's it's one of those things that each character gets maybe two or three pages, but it does such a deep dive into who they are and how their powers have a fundamentally affected them. It's it's a masterclass on character. Um, it's just a pity. Uh, Peter David apparently doesn't like the Roma. But. Ugh. Yeah, apparently he went off on a rant at a con. Ugh. Yeah, that really, it really <laughs> sucks because Peter David has always been one of my favorite writers. And he, I found out about that and I'm like, oh, fuck me. Anyway. He apologized, but still, like, man. Anyway. Long top five. Sorry. No, I, and I got distracted with, it wasn't even relevant to what we're talking about, but read X Factor Volume 1, number 87, because fuck me, it's good. Uh, Anyway, next week, we have a bit more Incredible Hulk. We have Iron Fist, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, then, uh... Your favorite book and mine, Daredevil, uh, Marvel Team Up, and Nova. So, uh, in the meantime, like us on Facebook. uh, And we do want to thank all the people who have liked us on Facebook lately. Uh, We're up over 360 now on Facebook, which is pretty much the only reason I don't delete my account outright at this point. Um follow us on twitter both individually and at watchers guide mu email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com have a marvelous week bye